Our Old Testament reading is from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, which can be found on page 528 in the Bibles we provide. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, which can be found on the page 816 in the Bibles we provide. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. We're studying the little book of James, James' letter. James was uh, the early church contended and, uh, or said, and uh, it's been contended throughout the years up until Luther, really, that this was James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote it. And that makes great sense because we know from uh, the book of Acts that James was uh, virtually the bishop of the church in Jerusalem and that these were very much the themes and concerns of his ministry. He sounds uh, of all of the writers of letters in the New Testament, the most like Jesus. This just could have been a, a sermon in the gospel from Jesus. So it's a delight to study it together with you. We come this morning to chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. You'll find this on page 1012 of the Bibles we provide. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full 
of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of the Lord. This text is, on the surface, very clear, but I want not simply to reread it to you and say amen, I want to try to press it in and illustrate the points that James is making because I believe that this is one of the most crucial little summaries of what James is getting at in this letter. It is a letter that calls us to the wisdom that God gives his people, not the wisdom of this world, but James at the beginning said, this is a wisdom that God's children must ask for without doubting, and ask for it not simply in order to use it for ourselves, but in order to use us for God's glory and for the good of others. So let me try to get into this text by asking you a simple question. How do you know what you believe? How do I know what I believe? Now, on the face of it, we might think that's an absurd question. If there's anything that I know, I know what I believe. I can tell you what I believe. But the Bible throughout, and James in particular, is at some pains to tell us and show us that what we really believe is not evidenced by what we say we believe, but by the lives that we live. And that sometimes our lives contradict the confession of our lips. And so James' opening statement in these verses is, let whoever is wise and understanding among you prove it. (laughs) How? By making a speech, by preaching a sermon, By answering your questions, no. Let that person's wisdom and understanding be shown by his good conduct. Let that good conduct show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wow. Whoever is wise and understanding among you, let him demonstrate it through good works that reveal that good conduct that reveals in his works that he's wise and let his wisdom be shown in meekness. So we see immediately that this is profoundly countercultural in that day as well as in ours. Because even though the Greco-Roman philosophers warned against hubris that would make the gods angry, nonetheless, there was a a self-pride and a building of the self. In all of that world, what was revered was the wise man and the strong man. Those were patriarchal societies. I said man intentionally. Women had no place in that world except as owned by a strong man or a wise man. 
And yet in our day, how far have we traveled? How far have we come in our estimation of what we would desire to see in ourselves and in our leaders in every realm? As I said, in verse 13, James states the point he wants to make, that wisdom and understanding that comes from God and that doesn't come from God are both revealed in the lives that we live. They're revealed in our conduct. And now in verses 14 through 16, he will say, this is what it looks like when it's not God's wisdom. This is what it looks like when it is wisdom not from above, but from below, from earth, merely human wisdom. And then in the final two verses, 17 and 18, he will contrast that with the wisdom that he says comes from above, God's wisdom, godly wisdom. And I want us to look at these for a few minutes this morning. First of all, he says that the source, the driving source of human wisdom if we could tear away the facade, if we could really look into one another's hearts, what you find there is ambition and jealousy and pride. In fact, twice he uses the same expression. In verse 14, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and then in the final verse of that part, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. So in the heart, he's first dealing with this motive being moved by jealousy. For my play, at, at the heart of what he's talking about is a person who thinks that all of this is about me. Everything is about me. I'm self-referential. My prayers, my worship, my good deeds, my acts of love are ultimately all referential, wanting to get God to bless me, uh, these people whom I need to be nice back to me, to love me the way that I want to be loved. Everything is done in terms of moi, myself. I'm at the center of everything. And now you may be thinking, you know, I'm not a jealous kind of a person. I, I'm really not. And I'm grateful if you don't suffer the kind of jealousy that breaks forth. But let me ask you this. I, the only way sometimes to get at these texts is to poke our fingers in each other's eyes a little bit. I'll try to do it gently. But, but let me just ask you this. If you're a Vols fan, Do you wish that it was the Georgia people that drove home sick to their stomachs and distressed, and that you went home rejoicing? Now that's, a, that's an easy one. And yet it reveals something about us. Nothing wrong with enjoying sports and cheering for the home team. But all my life I've seen cities a boy in Chicago, a young man in Boston, a middle-aged to old man in Knoxville. I have seen communities exalted and cast down simply based on what a bunch of big guys 
who, you know, tried to hit each other for a few hours, did out there. Nothing wrong with enjoying it. Nothing wrong with cheering. I'm not mocking sports. What I'm saying is, when we let that in to the deeper places of our heart and actually let ourselves care, I'm not talking about players, coaches, parents, people whose lives depend on it. I'm talking about people who say, I've died in Christ and been raised in Christ, and who care more this morning about what happened yesterday in Nayland Stadium than about what's happening right now in Puerto Rico. I'm saying that's a mark of whether or not we've been born again, whether or not we are being renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, whether or not we are learning to see all of life in terms of God's kingdom rather than in terms of this world's passing show. And for those of us who don't have that fan gene, my wife is a huge fan. She's married to a person. I just didn't get that gene. So, of course, it's easy for me to... I love to to point out that problem because I don't have that gene. But I have genes about other things. I've had to stop watching the morning. I'm, I'm a political junkie. I've always loved politics, watched politics, been invested in it. And I would have my devotions early in the morning and then wreck that devotional time by sitting eating my breakfast watching Morning Joe or one of the shows. And I realized I can't do that anymore. It's For me, at this point in our history, it's toxic. Because I go away deeply grinding not over what my response should be as someone joined to Christ over what's going on in the world, but instead thinking in terms of worldly wisdom and my wants and what I think should be happening. Where is it in your life? Where is it that you go to church, you sing the songs, you, but then you leave and you're just like everybody else? Because selfishness means I want what I want. I don't care if the Georgia fans go home crying. I want to be happy. I want to feel good. I want my team to win. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that's not a mark of someone who has the wisdom that comes from God. Because it's all self-referential. It's about me. It's about what I want. And I want what they got. And I wish we had it instead of them, you see? So again, I'm not knocking, cheering the local team or enjoying the I'm just saying, what really is going on in our hearts when these things, what, with all of our entertainments and with things we care deeply about and should care deeply about? He is telling us that when we live life in a self-referential way, when it's about us, and when it elicits passions that are selfish, my ambition, my desire that things turn out the way I want them to in my marriage, in my parenting, in my friendships, in my, you know, name it, fill in the blank, wherever you feel as though your needs are not being met. Husband, wife, I know some things break marriages unrepentant infidelities and abuse and 
But most people I know who break their marriage do it simply because they say, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm just not getting my needs met. Well, you're looking to your family, to your marriage, to give you what only God can give you. And if you take the name of Christ, then you're to be in that marriage self-giving. You're not to be asking, are my needs being met? You're to be asking, am I doing all that I can to meet the needs of those in my family? Or again, he says, it's this disordered brokenness that brings all kinds of trouble. I want to say this again gently, but I'm an old man, so, you know, I'll be gone soon. Just let me say it. World War II, I'm, I'm going to be 70 next April. World War II ended before I was born. But we still have troops in Germany and Japan. The Korean War at least stopped at the DMZ. When I was a child, we still have troops on that line. We still have troops fighting in Afghanistan, all over the Middle East. Do you know that until World War II, the leaders of the United States from our founding fathers on criticized Great Britain, France, Germany, and Russia for daring to use their power to try to influence other countries? Our country constantly said, we tend our own shores. We did mess around a little bit in the Caribbean and Mexico. But we shouldn't be doing that. Now you say, now you're getting into, you're going far afield. No, I'm not. Because what does he describe as the wisdom that comes from God? Listen. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and by that he means it wills one thing. It's not mixed. It's not passion-driven saying, well, I want that, but I also want this. So how am I going to get them both? How how am I going to get these things together? No, no. It's pure. It goes one thing. And we know from the larger text, for God's glory and the good of others. So it's pure. It's willing one thing. And how's that purity demonstrated? Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you see three times the purity is peaceable and then a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I've heard Christians in the past few weeks say, I wish there was just some way that we could nuke North Korea's capital and be done with it. The people of North Korea have been enslaved to a horrid dictator. They eat grass to survive. They need Jesus. They need our love. And the idea that we can go blundering around just bombing anybody we don't like is not the wisdom from above. It is not peaceable. It is not peacemaking. I'm not a pacifist. I know there are times when 
nations must defend themselves, but all this stuff is a different deal. And we need leaders who will lead us in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when the elections come, do you think with earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Do you think, what's going to most affect my taxes? What's going to most affect my pocketbook? What's, those are real issues. I'm not mocking it. And people can disagree on the most compassionate system. But the fact is, as Christian people, we should be thinking, what will make for peace? What will care for the poor, the hurting, the afflicted, the broken, those that nobody else cares about? That's how Christians should vote. Who will represent the interests of the living God? And if we think we can just be Christians in church and then just go our way, we don't get it. We miss everything that James is trying to teach us, everything that Jesus in his life tried to show us. Yes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. Whose image and likeness is on this coin? So that's Caesar's. Let him have it. Whose image and likeness is on you? God. So give yourself to him. And ask him to help you, whether it's in entertainments, in politics, in family, in all that we do to seek the harvest of righteousness and peace. It's okay. He's not bothering me. I'm almost done. But <laughs> probably it's just expressing what everybody else is thinking. <laughs> God, let him, let him in. Well, you get what I'm trying to say. And if you think I'm being critical of you, let me tell you, I'm preaching this to myself. I say I don't get that gene of being a fan, except when my kids played sports. I remember being carded for my incessant mouthing off to one of the soccer uh, uh, officials. And then I realized, my gosh, I'm pastor. Everybody sees me. There are people here who go to Cedar Springs. What is wrong with me? Get a grip, Wood. Shut your mouth. I told the kids, I'm just going to be quiet from now on. You know? like, so I get it but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Can you imagine if we were led by people seeking peace? People able to get along with and have relationship with people on the other side, that's one thing. I've always loved about Jimmy Duncan. He's strong, principled. These are my views. But he, his friends, if you've ever been to times when he was celebrated, the Democrats are there right along with the Republicans because they're friends. There's an integrity of life. There is an ability to stand for a principle but embrace those who disagree with you. We've almost lost that today. Brothers and sisters, it should not be so for those of us who claim the name 
of Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Peace I give you, he said. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. And James, his brother, calls us to embrace that 